The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 17. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Two men go up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee is all about the idea that you earn salvation by doing the right thing, by working your way into heaven. The tax collector is presumably about collecting taxes. And everybody knows that tax collectors are low-down, dirty sneaks who charge extra and pocket the difference. In this parable, then, you've got the pillar and the dregs of society going to the temple to pray. The Pharisee's prayer is almost amusing because it's just so bad. He prays a prayer of thanks to God, but he doesn't thank God for what God has done. He thanks God for what he himself has done. God, he prays, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You get the feeling that he really wants to pray, God, I think that you should be thanking me for being me. Guard your heart so that his sins do not become yours. He prays, I thank you that I am not like other men. That's the prayer of old Adam. And even if you don't pray it, you think it, and you're constantly tempted to compare yourself to others as anybody else's. The truth is that the Pharisee and you are just like everybody else in this respect. As long as you've got sinful flesh, you want to justify yourself. Against God and His holiness, you don't have a margin. But humanity, that gives you a sliding scale. If you get caught doing something wrong, the first thing you want to do is explain why it isn't wrong when you do it because you're you. 
You want to argue before God that you deserve his respect because you're not like everybody else because you're better than them. Yeah, you might be a sinner, but at least you're trying even though you've got it worse than others. Or you might acknowledge your sin, but you're convinced that because you're better than everybody else, you can indulge in those sins without them harming your soul. When other people sin, it's evil. When you sin, eh, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few commandments. That's the prayer of old Adam. Thanks be to you, O Lord, that I'm so special that unlike everybody else, my sins don't count against me. I don't need a crystal ball to know that's in your heart. I just need to know that you're like me. Because you are like me and the Pharisee who praised God, I thank you that I am not like other men. The tax collector's prayer is far different. He stands at a distance with his head bowed and he prays God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Actually, his prayer is better than that. For one thing, he doesn't call himself a sinner. He calls himself the sinner. The tax collector doesn't consider himself to be one among many. It doesn't matter if everybody else is sinful or not. What matters in his confession is that he is sinful and that he needs mercy. See, when you stand before God, it's between you and God. You don't have the privilege of dragging other sinners into it. You don't get to plead mitigating circumstances. It doesn't matter what your neighbor has done. He didn't create sinful anger in you. He only stirred up the sinful anger that was already there. Likewise, you can't blame someone else's clothes or manner for creating sinful lust in your heart because it was already there, as was the vanity that made them dress and act that way. Sometime along the way, you'll want to bail on church because of the preacher or the people. So imagine standing before God at the judgment, explaining that his holy body and blood weren't worth their tedious behaviors. Learn from the tax collector's prayer. Before God, it's just you and God. It doesn't matter why you did that particular sin right then. What matters is that you are sinful. But there's better news in the tax collector's prayer. He prays, God, be merciful to me. That's not a wrong translation, but it only scratches the surface. What the tax collector literally prays is, God, be propitiated toward me. We don't use the word propitiation very much, except in sentences like, nobody knows what propitiation means, or maybe I named my dog propitiation. But when propitiation is mentioned in scripture, it's about making satisfaction. It's about atonement. It's about sacrifice. So when the tax collector prays, God, be propitiated toward me, behold the faith that he has. He doesn't say, how can I make amends? He can't make amends. He's the sinner, remember? He also doesn't say, can we just overlook my sin and pretend it isn't there? No, he acknowledges that his sin must be propitiated. It must be atoned for, which is remarkable. But what's even more remarkable is that he asks God to do the work of the propitiating. 
That's a bold request for a sinner who won't even take his eyes off the ground. Imagine irresponsibly running a red light and smashing into another vehicle, then saying to the other driver, hey, this was totally my fault. Would you mind paying for the repairs and the medical bills? But that's the boldness of the tax collector. He effectively prays, God, I'm the sinner, and I'm counting on you to atone for my sin. What do we call this arrogance? We call it faith. This tax collector, the sinner, makes his outrageous request only because he trusts that God is merciful. He trusts that God will do what is necessary to atone for his sin. By the way, most gathered to pray at the temple at the time of the morning and evening offerings. So imagine then, we don't know this for sure, but imagine then that the Pharisee and the tax collector arrive with the crowds for offerings of a lamb and incense. So the lamb is sacrificed, its blood is shed, its body is placed on the altar to the Lord, and that lamb points to the promised Messiah, to the Christ who will come and offer himself for the sins of the world. Seeing the lamb sacrificed, the Pharisee's prayer actually is, God, I thank you that I am not like other men who need this sacrifice because my sins don't need atonement. If his prayer wasn't offensive enough before, it's far worse now. Seeing the lamb sacrificed, the tax collector prays, God, as this lamb is sacrificed this day, so have mercy on me because the Messiah's blood will be shed and his body will be offered in my place. There's no better Christian confession than that. Jesus finishes the parable by teaching, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Never let that become just a moral maxim that means the same thing as pride goes before the fall. It's far more comforting than that. For one thing, it's true all by itself that the humble tax collector is exalted because the Lord delivers him to the kingdom of heaven by forgiving his sins. But far more than the tax collector, think how these words are about Jesus himself. Remember Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 through 11, which say, And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It's an astonishing thing that Jesus humbled himself to die in your place, then rose again to rule over all things. Never forget that he did humble himself so that he might raise you up to heaven too. Jesus says a little bit more in our text because next thing you know, people are bothering Jesus with babies. We read, now they were bringing infants to Jesus that he might touch them. 
and the disciples rebuke them as they apparently see Jesus to be all about grown-ups. However, Jesus disagrees and says, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Think for a moment of a newborn nursing infant. What does he do when he gets hungry? He cries. What does his mother do? She offers him her breast for milk. And what does the baby do? He latches and he feeds. He doesn't negotiate. He doesn't question his mother's motives. He doesn't wonder if mom's going to make him mow the lawn or clean up his room later on. No, look at the whole sequence. The baby voices his hunger and receives the milk that satisfies the need. I think we could even say that he confesses his hunger by his cries and he receives the gift that takes the need away. Like the baby voicing his need and receiving his mother's milk, voice your need for forgiveness and receive the grace of God. No strings attached. No works required. The Lord simply gives the forgiveness he won by his suffering and death on the cross. When you receive his forgiveness, it's a package deal. You receive the kingdom of God. I suppose we could say that when it comes to living as a sanctified Christian, by all means, grow up. Be as mature in the faith as you possibly can. Continue to hear and meditate upon this word so that your faith is grown up and strengthened against whatever spiritual attack comes your way. You need to be mature. To think that you don't need a constant diet of God's word and grace isn't childish. It's foolish. Grow up. But when it comes to salvation and absolution, be a baby. Confess your sin and your need and your helplessness and rejoice that Christ forgives you freely and that he continues to make sure his bride, the church, feeds you the pure spiritual milk of his word. For of such is the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.